do it up. Ooh. All right, recording. Uh, so, Pavel, do you want to start? <laughs> Questions? Okay, I guess I'll start off. Uh, so, I'm not very knowledgeable about the music industry, so most of my questions are probably going to sound a little more basic. That's fine. You know, like, this is all about getting to know each other and stuff, right? Exactly. Like, I guess that makes sense. There's no yeah. wrong way about doing this stuff. I mean, for what it's worth, I used to be an FM radio DJ. I used to be a serious XM radio personality. And let me tell you, one thing that separates the good people from the bad is people willing to just be honest. So ask any question you got. We'll be honest with you. Let's have a good time. I'm, I'm, we're, we're looking forward to it. All right. Sounds good. So yeah, the first question I have is, uh, what inspires you to continue making music? Absolutely. Well, great question. I would say one thing is that for myself, and I can only speak for myself, I know there's two other members of the band, Rick and, and Becky, um, but for me personally, it's something that um, is an innate thing that has been happening since I was, I, I don't remember not writing little songs and like singing to myself and annoying my parents in the back seat of the car, the front seat of the car, you know, like all of these things. Um, and, uh, you know, what I can say more than anything is uh, it is the way that um, to be creative and to be artistic and to express yourself, especially in this time where we're at right now, where people don't really have the same way of communicating with others. Like it is something that is, um, it, it is something that is um, second nature. It's become ingrained into like who, who I am and who we are. I think ultimately the most important thing is that, it has become a way of expressing myself and to speak my mind and to use this platform that we've created to really get the things across that we want. Um, and to be fair, it's also a lot of fun and it's just some rewarding thing. It's, it's something that I don't even think about anymore. It's just the way that I handle things. You know, like some people, clean their house, some people go on for runs, some people cook food, some people do whatever it is that you do, right? That's just like what you do when you have nothing else to get done. It's, it's option number one, you breathe, you eat it, you sleep it, like making music and writing songs and, and um, doing this thing is just, it's the identity, you know? Uh, I don't know if you've seen, but I've got a giant music tattooed on my arm. Um, it just says the word music. It, it's been who I am as a person for decades now. And I think that the only thing I can truly say is uh, I blame my dad for having a great taste in music and for having a good cassettes on in the car when I was a kid um, and just constantly ingraining it as something that was important. And also um, having the support structure around, you know, growing up, like there's a period of time where I was really bad in English class. Um, and I went through, I got expelled. And so I go into like, you know, special education schools where you go to and get expelled from public school. And there was an English teacher there that was just like, hey, I know that you're musical. I know that you're writing songs. Instead of having to write these big reports and do all these papers and all this other stuff, um, he was very um, 
motivated and very accommodating and basically was just like go home and record some music and, and come in and um you know write songs and challenge yourself in that way and i think that that was a gift that basically just allowed me as a young teenager to interpret the world through that and now it's just i couldn't imagine not doing it every day it's honestly great that you could meet a person who was willing to like help you expand your talents like this. It's actually amazing that something like this helped you go down this path in life. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think our teachers, especially, I mean, they're, they're so important, right? Like, I mean, your parents teach you something and then, you know, when you're five or six years old, you start seeing somebody else almost as much or more than you see your parents, you know, and um, in ninth grade, it was this, well, I had some help in eighth grade with this, with this one teacher that was in reinforcing it. And then by the time I hit ninth grade, my English teacher, you know, I, I honestly had two of them, one guy in middle school named Lee, and then another guy named Jason iced, um, in high school, um, who was the Spanish teacher, the basketball coach and the English teacher. Uh, cause there was like 30 kids in the high school. Um, cause we were all expel <laughs> it was the school it was the bad kids school so um it was a blessing that um somebody you know uh, had that you know it's funny i've been trying to find him those teachers on like facebook and, and everything else for years and years and years and i haven't been able to find them i really wish i could go back and and say thank you because who i am today and all the success of this band um owes a lot to those people and you know, when I, had a t when I you have a teacher that tells you to go home and make music and record records, I used to burn little CDRs of badly recorded songs through like the microphone in my webcam on my computer in like ninth grade. Um, and he would like critique them. You know, it was like amazing. Yeah, that's uh, actually really amazing, honestly. I, I don't know how it would be here without without that type of support. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like support is one of like the big structures of creating music, or rather posting music, and like having sort of a bigger connection with it than you already have from your own experience and creativity. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't know who I would be without that support. Uh, it surely wouldn't be the same person I am now, right? Like all the things in the world, all the experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly are all the kind of make you who you are as a person. And um, if I didn't get expelled, if I didn't, you know, have all of these terrible things that weren't supposed to necessarily happen that may or may not have been good ideas at the time. If they didn't occur, wouldn't be the uh, person I am today. And um, I'm pretty, pretty stoked on, on you know, the band that the, the band as it is and the friends that I have and the other musicians, you know, are, are phenomenal people like Rick, the bass player in Dirty Cakes. He, um, you know, he grew up in a, in a musical family in Hawaii, and by the time he was in his early 20s, he was touring the world. Um, he was the lead guitar player for the English Beat for like a decade, you know? And um, Becky, the, our drummer, she was 
you know, uh, she was touring the world and playing festivals and stuff. She was in a band called the Luna Chicks, and um, like, you know, they play they they play you know huge festivals and and you know bands like L Seven and uh, all these other like Riot Girl punk bands all looked up to 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 the Luna Chicks, and I can say that from knowing them, like this was basically their only option. They've never really had anything else. You know, I mean, Rick is now also a teacher. He teaches people how to play music and stuff. And Becky, um, she's also a chef. But I mean, these are things that they found like much later in life because they basically just had their instruments and, you know, slept wherever they found themselves and ate food. And that was all they ever did with their life. Option. It's the first thing that we do when we wake up. It's the last thing that we do when we go to sleep. And, uh, you know, there are, without that support and without that identity, I don't think it would mean nearly as much to us or anybody else. Um, because that honesty of it being so vital is something that comes across in the energy and, um, and in the authenticity of who we are. And one of the things of being a band that's sort of in, you know, the punk rock ecosystem is that it's about honesty and it's about, um, authenticity and it's about community and that is really those are the defining points of i think what we bring to the table yeah. so okay um so what do you think was like the big moment that in like your life that was like i can't i, I want to start a band like i want to do this like as like a 100 percent like thrust in almost yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, um, I was a big nerd in high school. And, you know, my bedroom, I basically had a computer and, a, and a, I had a computer monitor uh, and a television and an amplifier on my desk. Right. And so I, I had this big old chair that I bring up in front of my desk. I'd sit there and I'd, I used to know the time of day by like what channel the reruns of The Simpsons or like Saved by the Bell was on. And then uh, in between shows, I was playing guitar and I was surfing the net, you know, at the time. And um, which is what we called it, I guess, back in the day. Um, I would say when I went to when I was touring colleges, I went to a school and I toured this one school in Florida called Full Sail, and I toured the school in the video game design department. Like, I literally went to tour the school when I was 16 as, like, hey, uh, I want to come here and learn how to make video games, right? Because that was going to be awesome. Like, I was all about it. My parents are programmers. I, I, you know, cheated my way through middle school and high school math class by programming my, you know, graphing calculator to do all my homework. And, but when I was there, I happened to see the, like, recording engineering department and I kind of abandoned halfway through. And I remember at the time, just like I came home, I left my house to go to the school one, under the idea that like, I'm going to go make video games for the rest of my life. And I came home realizing that I couldn't stop thinking about the recording engineering department. I couldn't stop thinking about the music stuff that I was doing. And when I got home, I didn't open up, you know, I didn't open something up and start to design more and play more video games. Like I came home and picked up my guitar. You know, uh, and there's a very clear shift 
basically from that moment on that the music was going to be the front running thing. Um, I think that I knew that everybody had kind of pointed me into the idea of computer programming because those people make a lot of money, you know, and it's a lot of fun. But what I wanted to do with my free time and nobody else told me what to do was was the uh, was um, you know the music. And so when I finally got back to doing that, it became the thing that I did every day. And it was also at the same time when I came back that that music teacher or that the teacher in school was really evaluating songs. And I, and I got to the point where I just started to really take that seriously. I started to buy a lot of effects and I started to really focus in on learning a lot of different styles. And also that summer Napster came out. And so it was just like downloading track after track. And like, there was a point in time where you would find a song that you like and you could download like one song at a time and it would take like eight hours to get to your computer. So it was all like you had to work so hard to get like a song, right? So everything meant so much. I was like, you know, there's no Wikipedia, there's no YouTube. So you like you were researching all this time and effort so that like the one song you were going to download and get by morning was like one that you really wanted. And it just became this thing that I got really obsessed in and I think there was some beautiful culmination there of Napster coming out and going to that school and having that teacher and all of that stuff where it became the thing that I wanted to do. And then when I got to college and started to learn how to make records, like I, I, my, I went to college to become a recording engineer and I've got a degree in audio engineering so that I can, you know, basically I learned, went to college to learn how to, you know, make records. Um, all these other guys had bands and all these other girls were, you know, going, were doing that. And um, the honest truth is there was, I had this pizza delivery girl who's, who's now the lead singer of a band called stitched up heart. And they're on tour, I think with like disturbed now, but she was my pizza delivery girl um, for a pizza joint called hungry Howie's. And she ran an open mic night and I had like this big crush on the girl and I was writing songs and she's like, Hey, come on out and do it. And that was the time that I first got on stage and being somebody that really likes being the center of attention and can talk endlessly and really enjoys entertaining and performing and all of that. Like it was this insane, it was the first time that I was exposed to that experience. And it was so amazing that that became the thing that I wanted to do every single day. And I found myself on stage three to four times a week for years after that. And to be fair, I wasn't good. You know what I mean? But I kept at it and it became so fulfilling to do that, that eventually I went from the person that to even get the attention of anybody else in the room where I was, it was just terrible. And you know, honestly, you know, bless the people that were around that like dealt with it. But because I was terrible on stage and kept going back, it got to the point where I learned how to do things well. And then that journey got me to a point where I learned how to work a room. I learned how to be on stage. I learned how to sing, how to, you know, write songs, how to, you know, what the persona needs to be and met other people and learned from them. And it just became this like giant journey of that. This is the thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, I devoted years and years and years to be honest, being bad on stage and knowing hopefully that one day I, I'd be better and it became this um trial by fire and journey that uh, got me out to los angeles and 
helped me meet these other really great musicians and eventually put this band together. And now, you know, we're a verified account on Instagram with followers all over the world and hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube and, you know, records coming out and you know, all, all this fun stuff. But it comes back to, you know, the few things of having to work so hard to find the songs and having a teacher that really reinforced it and wanting to impress them because they were a really big part of my life and going to college and seeing like what those options look like and seeing that like, oh, I could do all of this myself. And I'd already been, when by the time I was 14 or 15, I was making records in my bedroom to see that like, oh, I could do everything myself and I could do it exactly the way I want. And that could be what I'd spend the rest of my day doing. I mean, that just seemed like such a better option than like flipping burgers or trying to be a lawyer or something like that. It was just, um, I don't think there was any one moment, but I think it was so many small moments that kept pushing me in that direction. It's really, it's a fantastic thing to think about how after like years of like trying and like doing a bunch of stuff that people will start to like pick up and just kind of share like the same uh, like I- ideas and same mu- musical creativity with you. So yeah, sorry, I'll pass it off to Pavel. <laughs> I heard you mention at some point where like you have a lot of like people now following you on Instagram and a lot of people are hearing your music. And I actually wanted to ask about that. How does it feel to have like a lot like fans and people who like admire you for what you do i mean i I gotta be honest it's it's humbling it's it's amazing um you know you don't you don't wake up in the morning and have the idea that like you know i mean I, i mean i don't at least i don't wake up in the morning and have this idea of like you know i'm gonna go out there today and i'm gonna get a lot of attention from a lot of people or any of that stuff but you know it it means the world that like this is you know, just something that we do because we kind of have to. Like I was saying, you know, like it is not really a choice. You know, you know, it's like, or you know, the bass player for Rick and for the drummer for Becky, like it was like their only means of eating food. You know, like basically they would wake up, I guess, have coffee or something, right? Brush their teeth, do whatever, and then like their only option in the world was play music or do nothing. Um, and, and I was very much in a similar place and. The idea that that can mean something to somebody else is honestly, honestly, like it's a responsibility too. Like, um, we're working on a record right now, and there's this big point to like we want to get it out, not just because it's like been a year's worth of work for us. Uh, I think we started our sessions about a year ago um, to make this record, but also because like. We know that we're trying to get something across to people that, that, that can allow them to identify with somebody that's saying something that means something to them. Um, I think a lot of people that we know that play music play it because they like the attention or they're really good at it or they had a lot of lessons as a kid. or There's a lot of motivations, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's always the person that's like, as you know, their their parents put them in classes forever, and it's just because what they're how they're doing. But for us, it's like this is the only option of who we are as people. 
and for that to become something that we can put together so that somebody else can identify with something or find some meaning in it or at least just even enjoy themselves if there can be some value that somebody else is gaining out of it that is um it's 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 amazing i mean just think about like you know anything that you're doing for fun you know whether it you know people do all sorts of things for fun right like people are playing Call of Duty and they're on Twitch and then they have fans that just follow them. You're like, you have Ninja that's just like famous for doing that or, or anything else. So like you have athletes that do it and actors and whatever else, right? Um, to, to have this idea that the things that you have to do in life, because that's your only option, for that to mean something to somebody that you've never met and people that um, you've never communicated with and for it to be that important to them is... It's amazing. And, and I can say for me personally, like, there were some tough times in my life. And, and you know, there's certain bands that really helped me get through some of that stuff, whether it was you know, being really depressed as a teenager or breakups or, you know, tough time, whatever it happens to be. Right. And there's also like the really good times, like, you know, the summer trips that were so much better because of the soundtrack. Right. Like I can remember like the summer of 2002, like we just had the chronic 2001 and like ludicrous word of mouth and like lincoln park hybrid theory like those that was like the soundtrack of that summer for me and i can think back on those memories of being so fondly tied to it and now knowing that something that we're doing is allowing somebody to have a visceral feeling that is important and meaningful to them is something that is extremely difficult to put in even to put into words of like how incredible it is. Like I wake up in the morning and I'll go check our numbers on like Spotify or something. Right. And there'll be like a couple thousand listeners or something like, I don't know who those people are. I've never met them. And to think that something that me and, and my friends have done in a room because we don't have any other choice can be meaningful enough that somebody seeks us out and takes the effort of putting that on so that whether it's like the wallpaper to their life, just something on in the background or something that they listen to 20 times in a row because it has some meaning to them. I mean, it's incredible to think that the actions that you take can have that much of an impact on others. And I think, especially with the world of social media as it is, and with the environment of the world that we're living in now, I mean, we are as vocal or more vocal about what's going on in the world as much as we are about the songs that we play. You know, we use our platform to speak to many people that that might be the only, that might be one of the few voices that they have of somebody that they can relate to in their environment that gives them meaning. You know, that is something that is incredible. You know, um Again, like, I don't know that it's easy to put it into words. It's just probably why I'm using so many damn of them to try to, to say it. But to know that you're having that impact on somebody and to know that like, it means something is a responsibility that we don't take lightly. And when we're writing songs and we're working on material and working on recordings, it's not like, hey, that was fun, cool, see you tomorrow. It was very much like, is this good enough that somebody's going to care? Is this good enough? Like, is this, it's not, it's not a question of, is this good enough? But like, is this the best thing that we can do? Because there's a responsibility to add something to the world. We're not trying to play the same songs as everybody else that's already been done. Cause then that's, 
Somebody else has already done it. You know, there's, there's no reason to do a second one. But as a band, if you can go in and right now there's no live shows, but say there's a live show and that's, I mean, even if it's so much, it's just like somebody's out on a date and they're bringing somebody out to the club and like you're the reason that that date ends well, then like that's amazing. And on a much deeper level, if you can represent something across pass a message or inform people or provide enough identity and belonging to somebody that their life is impacted by it and is that is something that does does not have and there's no way to actually value that in anything monetarily you know there's no way of saying that that is worth x amount because those are our memories and our experiences are something that um, we will keep with us for the rest of our life. And to be that to anybody else is insane. Like I remember seeing Nirvana unplugged in New York and what that means to me, even so many years later, not that, you know, not that there haven't been plenty of other things, but live music and and, um, the performance of art in general can so heavily impact everybody's life that it becomes a responsibility when you have a platform for you to do that in an honest and meaningful way for everybody else. I think honestly, the most insane thing about this is like you said earlier, how this all started out as like kind of a hobby. You back in the day, like you might not have even thought that, you were going to be doing this professionally and now like well now i understand what you mean when it's like hard to put into words because like when we see like data online it's hard to imagine like a person behind that they're like individual with a lot of live with lives and like to mean something to them it's i can't even imagine honestly yeah it's and you guys are doing that here with this, right? Like whether you get one person to check it out, three people to check it out, or a thousand, like but it's worth I mean I afternoon, I enjoy doing this thing. Like my day's a little bit better because I get to talk to you all, right? And like that's awesome. So like you guys are reaching out to somebody that you don't know and their day is better because of just something that you're doing because and you don't necessarily have a reason for it, it's just what you're doing. You know? And like if you like that is that's awesome yeah thinking about it like as at like like thinking about like deeper into that it gets it's pretty like unfathomable it's it's really hard it's crazy and like the most positive way possible yeah i mean it's one of those things that if you, I'll say this, it's one of those things that if you put it out on paper and you try to figure out um, exactly what you're trying to do and you map it out and you're like, well, here's the goal we want to get to. And clearly that's fucking impossible. So it's not even worth trying. Yeah. That's the kind of thing I think when anybody tries to be reasonable about it, because their only success people have for things is this extreme version of it. But I mean, impacting any other person is 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 huge like you know to have a positive impact on anybody else in the world is something that is good right like doing the little thing whether you get credit for it or not and the fact that 
you all are making this effort to do this thing and whether that you know is something for you or one other person checks it out like you right now are doing something good for us you know myself and, and the other and the other two band that's that's three people whose days are a little bit better from it my dog's enjoying it because i'm not outside like in the heat he's just lying down here with me so he's he's a little bit better because of it uh and you just stick with things and be honest about it and and do it because it's meaningful to you and that, that's that's when you really get something out of it you know um and you can tell when somebody's doing it for the love of something or when somebody's doing it because like the algorithm or so you know some businesses behind it. like you can tell authenticity and it's really easy to sniff out the people that are lying, you know? It's so easy to tell. People, especially in this day and age, are just seeking out something more, something authentic and something that is, you know, what the life that they want to have or the type of people that are talking like them, that wear the same clothes, that listen to the same music, that like the same books and movies. Like, stuff's important. That reminds me of like East Sorry, my computer was messing up, sorry. Uh so that reminds me of how you said earlier a lot of music can make your day and like can inspire you and stuff like that. So my question is, is there any like album in particular that really stands out to you? I mean, yeah, there's there's always a a few that will like forever be like in the big picture for me uh i mean and, and i'll just talk about for me personally as as like the guitar player for the band and i'm i know that the rest of the band are they're all every every single human being is gonna have different different right but i remember there's something that the music you listen to when you're like seven or eight years old like seems to always stick with you and then the stuff that you listen to when you're in like middle teenage years seems to always stick with you and like i because i think because you listen to it so much and because you don't have access to too much other things that it becomes like your entire world and with that like there's a couple records i can think of one would be uh credence clearwater revival has a record called gold and my dad had that on cassette and to this day when i hear one of those songs and it ends Immediately, if, no matter where I am in the world, immediately right afterwards, I, I hear in my head like the next song on the cassette, like playing. I don't know if anybody else that has that happen to them, but it's crazy. Um, and, and so I would say like that that record was was huge um, when I was a kid. And then I think also um, there are records from bands like Nirvana. I, like I said, the, the Unplugged, I think, was really huge. Um, and I think uh, Queens of the Stone Age, Rated R, like that record was, and songs, Rated R when I was younger, and then Songs to the Deaf now more that, like, I know some of those people, and we've gone out to where they made that record to make our record um, is so big. And, you know, there are a few albums here and there, like the first White Stripes record, I think, was amazing. Um, and things that like I'll continue to listen to. It was funny, we just posted something earlier today and it was like, 
10 records or so i think it was in our story it was like 10 records or so um that you could you know kind of define uh, for yourself like, what are they meaning to you and it was like uh like that first system of a down record or hybrid theory from lincoln park or like corns follow the leader you know all these records that like white pony from deftones um those were all sort of really impactful but i can say if i have to think of like in the, the problem is no matter what my mood is that it's always going to change but if i had to say some records that were really huge that i still love one would be like uh the chronic 2001 record from dr dre that thing's amazing that's just phenomenal top to bottom um nirvana's unplugged in new york i think was so many lessons that i learned from that um smashing pumpkins melancholy infinite sadness that record is i mean that to me was a textbook on how to write uh, on, on how to you know make a guitar sound right um like creed and ccr gold was amazing um, i love fleetwood mac rumors um wings of the stone age rated r and songs for the deaf those couple records um it, it, you know i think as far as full albums are concerned like those are some of the most important records that i can think of right off the bat um and if i had to you know have a desert island list today it would probably be those more than other ones but i'm sure if you ask me tomorrow there might be some stooges or um you know some like motown or or something else i guess just today i'm sort of in a really good hard rock vibe so although i'm wearing an iggy pop and the stooges t-shirt so maybe i should throw fun house in there but and that would be disingenuous speaking of that uh there's another thing you mentioned earlier that i kind of want to talk about which was uh, how you were talking about like audio engineering and stuff like that, and that was kind of the thing that you went to college for. So I was just wondering, when you record music, do you tend to record it on your own terms, or do you record it at like a studio, or how does that whole process work for you? Yeah, we. Uh, so the way that the way that I like to do it. So I used to run a recording studio for a long time. So I'm really familiar with how it's done. And when I'm in recording sessions, I'm very aware of like how I would do it, right? Um, which is sort of a, a blessing and a curse, you know? Um, it's, it's like being in a kitchen with a chef, you know? Uh, everybody's got their own ways of doing things. Um, and as much as I like doing things my way, there's a perfectly good, reasonable way to do it another one, you know? Yeah. That being said, um, I will work. I've now gotten to the point where I'm lucky enough to be able to make the decision where I can honestly say that I will work with people that I want to work with because what they do is as good or better than what I would do. I like their decision-making. I like the way that they work. Um, and to a point where I know, I'll say this, if I know that if I were to do everything my way, it would be exactly what I wanted and it would be okay. Um, you see that a lot of time with like solo records, right? Like you see like um, when Freddie Mercury left Queen and made a solo record, it's good. It's not Queen, you know, or like um, when, uh, when uh, you know, um, I guess like 
Radiohead took a little break and Tom York did his solo record. It was okay, but it wasn't Radiohead. Or, you know, uh, the same thing with like Smashing Pumpkins. There's all these times where like the lead singer or somebody in a band does everything and they control all of it. Very, very rarely does that actually exceed what they could do together. Um, because the honest truth is like, my ideas are only as good as what my head is, right? And what really makes, like, for instance, what makes Dirty Cake so much better than me as a person is the ideas that Becky brings to the table, is the ideas that Rick brings to the table, and the people that we work with. Like, the new record that we made, we're working with... We're, we're, the bass player and I really are finalizing the records. Like, he has a studio, we own the spot. Like, we, we literally will go in there and we'll do everything. But we're recording with people that we really trust. Like, we're recording this record with a guy named Dave Catching. Dave Catching was the lead guitar player for the Eagles' death metal, but he's also the guy that owns a studio called Rancho de la Luna, which is where um, the Foo Fighters record some stuff there. Queens of the Stone Age made Rated R and Songs for the Deaf and stuff there. Uh, Arctic Monkeys have made records there. Like, there's a certain sound, right? Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. And what's amazing is you go into a room with something in your head, like you have your best idea. You go in there and then you talk to somebody and like you just let them do their thing. Like for instance, one of, uh, the best example for this I can give is we basically played our set in there, right? And, and, and Dave had seen live shows from us. You know, he knew who we were, right? We weren't just strangers off the street walking in. Like, you can't even just walk in. Like, the only way you get to work there is if, like, a friend of a friend, like, we had to have three or four friends vouch for us for him to even accept our text message. It was crazy. Um, we had to have the keyboard player from Foo Fighters and, like, the guitar player from this other band. Like, we had to have, like, some hookups, right? Um, and... Um, Got in there and we played some stuff and i was like oh you know we got this so here's this other song it's kind of a he's like what's the song mean how do you guys play it and we played it and he's like like cool this is kind of what i was thinking and with let's hook it up and he's like hey you know what i got this um i got this amp called the dragon slayer i think we should hook you up into it i'm like done i didn't even know this thing existed i don't know what's going on but this guy that you know made records that have sold millions and millions of copies is like I think what you need right here is some weird British amp. There's only five of them, and it's called the, the Slayer of Dragons. I'm uh, like, uh, okay, sure. Like, uh, I'll just go with you, man. And you know what? It's so much better than anything I could have done on my own. I think while we, while I, as somebody that has, you know, many, many years' experience working in recording studios, and the bass player does too, we've all made plenty of records for years and years and years. When you work with partners you surround yourself with people that you trust so that you can trust their decision making so that you can do something that's better and that's bigger and that's more than just you and i think yeah. that's really important like there's, there's a couple of y'all right and if it was only one of you it wouldn't be the same show mm -hmm. yeah that is true um so I'll be honest, where I do kind of act a little bit of like a diva is more in like editing. More like I know how to get this yeah. job done or like in recording, like for instance, if I'm recording vocals, right? I know for me personally, like some vocalists will, will sing the song, they'll go part by part by part. And like if they don't get it right one or couple times, they'll like, they'll get drink some water, they'll take a lap, they'll get in the right headspace, they'll knock it out, right? 
I know for me personally, what I need to do is perform the entire song top to bottom live like four or five times and it needs to happen immediately back to back to back to back to back, no breaks. Because I need to like, by the second or third time, I stop thinking about what I'm doing and I just get into the zone of feeling it. And that like third or fourth take is always amazing. Um, but what I need for that is like no downtime at all. Like I don't need like, all right, let's take a break. Let's talk about it. Like as soon as you do that, I have to start all over. So I'll get a little bit weird about stuff like that just because I know the way that my creativity flourishes the best. It's more about in that extremely personal experience of the only thing that's there is a microphone and my face. I know that like there's something very particular that I need to help me succeed. Um, outside of that, like, I, I literally wrote down a notepads of like every effect pedal, every guitar, every amplifier, every sound, here are the sources, here's what I want to sound like for every song and every guitar part for the whole album. And I show up and this guy's like, I got this thing. And it was like a snake skin British amplifier called Dragon Slayer. It's like, I'm going to give up everything that I just did. You put that thing wherever you think it sounds good and I'll record it. I'll just keep playing until you're done. And it was fucking rad. And there's another song that we did um, called Awesome and Creepy. And I do a guitar solo normally, and I've got a lot of effects pedals. What we ended up doing was he pulled out his effects pedal rig from like his last tour with Eagles of Death Metal. And he put it down on the ground and just kind of leaned and kind of crouched and was like playing with some knobs. And we just started recording it. And the actual recording on the record like the third take of me just kind of fucking off playing the solo and him turning knobs and punching things and having fun and there's no way if i had spent a decade trying to figure out exactly how i wanted to sound that i would have possibly come up with this guy in his toy box having a fun time at like you know nine o'clock at night on a saturday day three of some recording session where we've been in there for 30 hours you know like been impossible and it's so much better than anything i could have done i have a question about uh the recording process for you sure. so so when it comes to like solo recording or like when you have like a set process that you want to stick with what is your set writing process hmm? We do sort of have a, a, a way that we like to get the work done, at least to start off with. And that really looks like, um, what that is, is to be very clear, what, the way that we do that is um, we will basically get in the room and play the songs a few times until we get the vibe that we really like. And what we do is we use that to we'll record the drums out to start with. We'll have everybody playing and we'll record everything. But the main point when we're recording in the session is to get the drums and whatever else we can as like, that's the take that we love. We use that as the foundation to build on. And out of that, maybe we get the drums and we get the bass and we get the guitar, maybe we get all of it. Maybe we only get the drums and they, you know, that's it. But 
Because the drum is the heartbeat, that's the foundation. The drums and the bass are the heartbeat. That's the foundation of what a song is. There's no way to edit your way into making that thing good. It's either it's either got the feel, it's got the vibe, it's the right thing, or it isn't. So we go into a session and we will record it specifically to get that thing. And then what we'll do is we'll then go over and re-record any part that's not good enough. And to be fair, a lot of the time what's not good enough is the vocal. Usually isn't the best because we're performing the song like live. We're, we're pretending that there's a giant audience in front of us, right? Like we're having the most fun we are, we can have. Probably isn't the same as putting up some really nice microphones, getting in a vocal booth and like doing the best job you can there. Like that is something that, you know, it can be done better. And then, um, you know, maybe the guitar solo wasn't, wasn't as good as it could be, or you want to add in another layer of some instrument or some sound or you know, whatever it is. But we start with the band playing the songs a few times and a recording session without having spent many, many, many hours working on that material. By the time we go into a recording session, we will have played those songs live in front of people dozens and dozens of times, and we will have tried out all the weird ideas, and we will have been in rehearsal studio for dozens and dozens of hours it down so that like what we're actually recording is the version that we're the happiest with by the time we get in there it's just us having fun on the thing that we've already worked out our recording session isn't let's get this right it's let's have a lot of fun and whichever one feels the best is what we're going to use and sometimes that means we have to take seven or eight takes of something but we have a song on the new album that's a, it's our it's our one cover song on the album where we're doing a cover of David Bowie and Nine Inch Nails, um, and we did one take, and we just when we finished it, we were like, "That's it, that's done." Like we literally had to edit a little bit because, um, and let things like the guitars die out or some shit like that. We're just hooting and hollering and like screaming over it and stuff. So I had to go back and re-record some stuff. But like, we make sure that we are prepared as hell when we go in, and that what we're building from isn't like this huge edited, highly edited piece of all this like magic and quantizing and putting things on a grid or whatever else. It's like if it's not honestly there, our mistakes and everything. If it doesn't feel right, then we'll do it again, and we'll build from the thing that feels the best. So I have another question uh, pertaining to that. Uh, sure. Sorry, I just forgot. That's what you gave me a second. Sorry. Um, so when uh, you go about like releasing and listening to your music, as a musician myself, I can kind of tell that it's like a very hard thing to kind of listen back to your music because you're always trying to critique it. Have you ever thought about like have you all do you also go through like go through like the struggle of um listening to your music and being very like critical with it? Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't think that I think that's one of the lessons that I learned a long time is you know, I used to record songs right when I wrote them. Like, oh this song is awesome, I'm gonna record it. And then I would play it 
for like six months or a year. And the version that we would play on stage was so different than the original idea because they hadn't made the mistakes. I hadn't done like the weird idea. Somebody didn't, you know, whatever needed to be done at the time, right? And you get a very different feeling from when you're writing in your bedroom versus playing it on stage, whether there's three people in the audience or 300, like you can tell. You know, one of the things that we do and we really want to see if an idea works is after we play a show, we'll go back and like, what are we tagged in on Instagram? You know, like when fans pull out their phones and post videos of, of a song, like that's a good thing. Like if we play a set and the songs don't have any, but any fan footage, like we play a show in front of a hundred people and it's like eight songs and say three of them, nobody bothered to take their phone out of their pocket. We need to work on those, you know? Um, and so by the time we actually now get into the studio to record songs, it is something that, you know, we like refer to as like being battle tested. Like the song that we actually record and the way that we record it is something that we know we can go into a room full of strangers and play that song this way and it's going to be the thing that has the biggest impact on everybody and feels the best for us. Um, so by the time when you record in that way, by the time you actually get it down on tape, um, it's something that you're really confident in. And I'll say this too. It's also just a representation of what it sounds like that day. Um, And we've gotten some songs, like one or two of the tracks on the new record are songs that we've recorded before. But it wasn't recorded with this lineup or at this location. And it wasn't recorded with like the new decisions that we've made. And you see a lot of bands will do that. Not as commonly, but there are more than a few people that have like re-released some song or re-recorded a song from earlier in their career. Um, that happens, you know, quite frequently. Um, Nirvana did it. Tom Petty did it. Like, I mean, everybody's done it. Um, and, and so there is also the mindset that, like, when you're recording it, it's that is the most honest and most fun version of that song the day that you are in the studio. And in the entire process of releasing that record, you know that, like, that is an honest version that you can be proud of. And if it isn't, then we don't release it. We'll go back and redo it. So as you've mentioned, you work with a lot of people. Obviously you have your bandmates and like people helping you manage performances and things. Um, one question I had was, how do you manage like disagreements or like stress in the group? Yeah, well, we have a lot of those. Um, Cause it's like a family, you know, it's like a relationship. Um, I think like in a family or in a relationship, everybody sort of takes a role. conflict there's the person that's upset right there's the agitator and then like there's the peacemaker and then there's the other side right the person that's hurt right or something along those lines and 
I'll be honest, like for us, some people are far more often the peacekeeper and some people are far more often the agitator. Um, what really helps us more than anything is that we have this ultimate goal together and we understand that respect everybody else's people like this isn't we're not ideologically arguing with each other it's for whatever reason at this time whatever the argument is it really is a we try to make it about like this is how this person feels about it and why do they feel that way um and we also take into account like how important is it you know like some things aren't really that important um or are completely up to somebody's opinion. Like, I don't know. Like, if I were to get up, let me talk about myself because I don't want to talk for anybody else. If, if I were to get upset based on, like, oh, I didn't, I thought that, like, if I was playing the bass, I'd play a different fill. Well, I'm not the bass player. You know, like, this guy, that that's his job. And to be fair, when we're live, I don't really get to, I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing and I'm doing everything, I don't necessarily notice every single note that he's playing for every single song, the, every single set. Like, and I don't want that guy to come in and be upset or bothered by having to play something he doesn't like. Right? So there's also this level of importance to certain things. And... We also have this idea that like there are some times where a problem is way more important to one person than it is to anybody else and that person tends to kind of take lead on something like if something is most vitally important to our drummer and me and the bass player don't give a shit even if they're being shitty about it it's like okay look you need to do that's what you need to do um you know, and that that's important, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to kind of have that conflict resolution. Because I think having good conflict resolution skills is the way of having a really solid relationship. That makes sense because conflict's bound to happen, and if you know how to deal with it, like you can't prevent conflict, but you can like deal with it in a way that, like, stops most problems from happening. Or yeah, you can deal with it in a way that more than likely isn't it, it, it is going to create the most good after the fact. So on a what's uh sorry um on uh just out of like your or no sorry uh so what do you think? What's advice you would give like a young musician who would want to start to play when like they're dealing with stuff like this? Yeah, great question. I, I would say if I give three points of advice, one is play often and in front of people as much as you can. Um, having to be good in front of strangers is a far better lesson than sitting in your bedroom and making yourself feel good. If your goal is to play in front of people, get in front of people as often as you can. Um, because 
you can sit in your bedroom and feel really good about yourself, but you take it out of your bedroom to like the coffee shop or whatever, or the open mic night or whatever, um, it doesn't go over well. That's going to happen all the time. The way that you deal with that is by continuing to get on stage and instead of trying to force your thing, learn, be humble enough to learn what works and what doesn't. Be, be able to adapt to that. And I would say, second thing is education. Like, educate yourself on what's important to you. Like, for instance, I can't play, I mean, I'm the, the guitar player in a three-piece band, and I would say that I am by far the worst musician in the band. Like, I can't play a lot of scales. I'm not a blistering lead guitar player. I haven't spent years and years and years trying to learn all of this theory. I did was I listened what the guitar is to me is like an instrument that brings across a certain feeling and it's like the engine of, of whatever, right? Like I just listened to a lot of guitar players where I liked the music. For me what was more important wasn't nearly the like massive like awesome guitar solos, but like how did the guitar sound? What were the choices that were being made? You know? Um and really trying to figure that out. Like, what is the vibe that's coming across? What is the meaning of whatever the instrument is? And it might very well be, I want to be the most technically proficient drummer on the face of the planet. Then you sit down and you study, like, that thing, right? Or you might want to be the most honest singer. So you go and you watch other really honest singers. And you just your head against the wall trying to understand what that person does that you're not doing right and doing the best that you can to doing my third point is the best that you can to steal from everybody that's better than you and the thing that you like if you steal from them the saying that you're only as good as who you steal from even when you steal from somebody artistically you're going to do it in your own way and what, who def what really defines your vibe and your sound and your approach is a culmination of all the people that you steal from because it's going to be different than what somebody else does. And if your building blocks are the success that, you're, that other people have had, then you're going to be coming from a place where there are already proven ideas. And it's really, really, really difficult to succeed trying to reinvent the wheel with every move. Like the really successful people and the people that really mean something to you and to me are probably the people that you can see where they got their ideas from. You can see what they're inspired by. Um, I think that that's really important. The education, the humbleness to learn to adapt and really dedicating to being don't try to be everything. Just try to be the one thing that's most important to you. And I don't know that I could give any better advice other than understand you're going to be terrible for a long time. Um, it's completely fine to struggle. You know, like I said, I'll give you a for instance. This night, every Tuesday, it's open mic night. And they said, hey, look, you can be our closer. 
And I was excited because I was the closer for the night. Every Tuesday, I was the headlining act. Really boosted my ego. But what it meant was they put me on at 1.30 to clear the bar. Like, I didn't realize that until years later. Eventually, what happened was they were like, you know, you got to really, do you want to take like the 9.30 slot? Or like they, like they started offering me better times and paying shows that weren't part of the open mic night. And it was because I was just stubborn enough and a little egotistical. Like I just basically kept going up. Having to be compelling in front of people that didn't care. And eventually I went from the guy that drove everybody out of the bar to the reason that the bar had to, you know, kick everyone out. I really like nice thing, like so great thought. Honestly. So another question. Just really. But yeah. So what um what's your advice for like starting to perform live or like how to get a gig to perform live? Um I'd say like my best advice to how to play live, I mean and, and how to get gigs, like I honestly would say I think people look far too down the road uh, early. What I mean by that is if you can be, if you can focus on playing parties and open mic nights, like honestly, like one of the easiest paths to success is play all the open mic nights you can, right? And eventually people are going to ask you, like play open mic nights and make friends. And then say yes when anybody ever gives you an opportunity. Like, hey, come play this party, come do this thing. Because the hardest thing to do is to go to a club who, honestly, like, it's their job, their business is to have, you know, a music act on stage so that they can sell alcohol and, you know, charge and cover at the door. Like, if you don't have fans and you can't work a room and people leave when you go on stage, you're bad for their business. You're never going to be able to get on stage. I mean, your job as a musician on the stage is essentially being an alcohol salesman. So if you want to get a job as an alcohol salesman, be good enough that it's good business for the venue to have you on stage, not bad business. And especially nowadays with like uh, social media and with, with the ability for people, you know, PA rigs being so cheap, like so much easier to play the club should be the thing that you do because if you play anywhere else, the cops are going to get called. Like, as a for instance, Van Halen got really good because they kept playing backyard parties to the point where the police had to shut down all the parties, so they had to move it into a club. And by the time they moved it into a club, they were really fucking good. And the clubs weren't big enough to hold everybody that came to see them. That is a phenomenally better move than you working, trying to get to a club to play like a Tuesday night at 11 where the only people you're playing for are the other bands. 
their girlfriends or boyfriends or, you know, their family members or they're like three classmates or something that's coming out. Those people don't give a shit. They don't care. If you can put yourself in front of as many people as possible so that you get good enough at getting people to care, and everything else will happen. And really, it's just be good enough that people want to see you play. And be kind and gracious enough that people want to have you around. And all the opportunities will come for you. Because otherwise, you're going to be competing with everybody else that isn't good enough. And when you're in a room with everybody else that isn't good enough, the only people that you're convincing are other people that aren't good enough. And it happens for comedians, too. Like, if you're, go if you're a comedian only going to comedic open mic nights, you're never going to make it because the only people that are there are other bad comedians. You know, like, so you have to find your crowd, and you have to find a way that people are going to give a shit. I think that's one of the hardest lessons because that takes years and years of being bad and figuring out how to make people give a shit. It's the music business. Like, it's entertainment business. And the only way that you're going to have an opportunity is if it's good business for somebody to give you. Like if you want a big record deal, remember what a record deal is, a, a, a recording, a, you know, a, a, a record contract is basically something investing in you, like an investor in a bank. Or like, it's like going on Shark Tank. Like my band can do this for you. This is why you should give us money. I don't care that you have a good idea. That's great. Can you make, can you make money with it? Can you put asses in seats? Can you sell tickets? Can you sell merchandise? Is this a worthwhile investment? Is a bar owner or a club owner, like, is it good or bad for me to put you on stage? I might like you as a person, but if I know if I put you on stage and that means that everybody's going to leave right away and go next door, then it's not good for me to have you on, on, on you know, be the entertainment. It's going to cost me money. Oh. Of understanding how to get better, that humility is also understanding... How can you find your crowd? Because if you find your crowd and learn how to work a room and play songs that mean something to somebody in a way that somebody cares, um, you're going to succeed way more than being somebody who can play all the right notes at the exact right time. It's a total dick that nobody cares about. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes so many people make is that they get the shiny equipment and all the lessons and write songs that really mean something to them in their bedroom and they work on them for years and years and years to make it perfect and they go out and they fall flat on their face because they never worked on trying to make anybody else care because if you're on stage and you're not good you're a burden on other people you have to be not a burden you know you got to be a reason that it was a good idea for somebody to leave house because you're competing with netflix and pornhub and you know like de food delivery like somebody put on pants make it not be a waste of their time
advice, actually. So, do you have any other Sopavel? Do you have any more questions? I think I think most of them have honestly been answered. This is really a really cool opportunity to talk to you and. Any closers before we? I would say, you know, the only thing is, I'd love to do this again sometime, and maybe we can do it with the other, with one or two of the other members of the band. Like maybe, in a little bit, we can do this with uh, the bass player, right? and you can have the same conversation with them or with the drummer. And my advice to you all is just doing this thing in a way that is meaningful to you and listen back and see what people say and nobody will care half as much as you do so give all the shits about it and it's gonna be really hard to not feed at something thank you for being on the show you'll definitely try to Get, uh, do this again sometime. Awesome. Um, other than that, uh, any other closing thoughts, Pavel? No. I mean, other than that, uh, I mean, we're pretty damn vocal about all the things that are important to us, and I don't want to use this platform to try to get any of that stuff, but if you are still here an hour and 15 minutes in, thank you so much. It really means the world that you chose this over anything else to do with your time. And if it really, really meant something to you and you enjoyed it, share it with like one person. Like don't, like you can post it on Facebook, that's great, but tell like your friend, like, hey, check this out. Make a point of making that personal relationship with one person and sharing this. And that would be, so meaningful that it is that important to you to go and really bother somebody you know to share this with them. So yeah, other than that, uh, I think this is a good place to end. Sure. All right. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, I'll see you in the next episode. Yeah.